Hello, Jules. Hello. Welcome to my podcast where we talk about things. Thanks for having me. <laughs> um, you know a lot about mushrooms. I know a little bit about mushrooms, yeah. A lot. <laughs> I know a little bit. There's, there's very little known about mushrooms overall, really, when you look at it on Is a world it? perspective. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Very few of the, the mushroom species have actually been identified. Right. And it, the whole, it's a whole network that's far more intelligent than a lot of things, right? Isn't it? Is it Paul Stamets that I listened to on Joe Rogan talking about it? Is he the kind yeah, of- yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's kind of like the, one of the granddaddies of, of the mushroom or the mycology world, as we sort of call it in proper terms. Right, mycology. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's all this... How, how would you explain it to a dummy like me? Um, well, I mean, it, it just sort of you immediately go into like hippiedom when you, when you talk about this, but there is a science behind it, but... Essentially, the only thing that can actually survive re-entry into an atmosphere of a planet is a mushroom spore. And when a mushroom spore shoots out at a ridiculously fast speed, which unfortunately I don't have that particular figure in my head right now, but it comes out at a really rapid speed, it's actually got levitational elements that draw it towards the sun. So it's naturally trying to actually populate the planet that it's on, right? Obviously, let's just stick to Earth for the moment, but also it's trying to actually reach the upper atmosphere and ultimately the vacuum of space. The reason being that it actually reacts with the sun and forms like a metallic sort of shell, similar to what we would consider a UFO or whatever. What the hell? And yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. Is that simple? Right. <laughs> um, but but once it's in that sort of encased metallic shell, it can then survive for literally billions of years. And so until it finds a new terraform, a new planet to, that's basically in its primordial stages, that's when it will actually inhabit that planet and actually build sort of the neural network of that planet. Or a really easy way to sort of understand it, if you're like, what the hell's a neural network? Right? <laughs> is think about it like the internet. So the internet that we have is kind of like a network of um, systems that kind of interconnect in ways that are quite complicated and sim- in similarly way... Um, the mycelium, which is really what the, the primary aspect of... Mushrooms are really just a fruiting body, but we just sort of call them mushrooms because it's just easier. Right. right? But, you know, there's different kind of aspects of, of the mushroom, but the primary aspect is the mycelium. And to give you an idea, there's actually a, a mycelium of a, a honey mushroom, which is, interestingly enough, edible. And it's transforming an entire ecosystem on like a a geological level so it's taking it from say an an environment where it is now and turning into a completely different system so new animals and plants and everything can occupy that ecosystem but it's currently the largest organism on the planet and i I don't have the figures in my head right now but (laughs) but yeah ultimately it's it's enormous right so and that but that's just one singular organism but the mycelium um basically is what allows trees to communicate so that they can exchange information about minerals in soils about weather conditions and so they can adjust based on that so it's almost like a communicating um, system and a delivery of nutrients and that's where when you start to get into the medicinal mushrooms the mycelium that's occupying certain trees because primarily the medicinal mushrooms are these tree-based mushrooms so that mycelium is kind of interweaving right and having a partnership with that tree Shaga, for example, is a birch tree, right, primarily, and birch is a medicinal tree regardless. So you're kind of, you're, you're putting these two different aspects together to make, um, you know, something that's, you know, better than, than as a singular, as it were. It's incredible. Mm. Is it, so it, it's, it's almost like the glue between, or the communicative tool between different organisms or, or living things. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, well, it's, think of it more as like the... Um, uh, I'm just trying to think of like the word for it. It's like the infrastructure or the scaffolding. That's the word I'm looking for. It's like the scaffolding of, of a planet. So when it's in its formation, it needs the scaffolding to be put in place so that it can ultimately feed the ecosystem. Without the mycelium, everything goes. It's crazy. So it's, it's almost like the spirit world of communication between... Um, yeah, look, I mean, on certain aspects, it definitely is. On, on other aspects, it's really just the infrastructure and the, and the physicality of it. But it's funny, um, I, just, just to bring this up, like, because it's, it's, it's weird how, like, especially in Australia, we have such a um, microphobia, which basically means fear of mushrooms. Mm. Um, and um, 
we actually visited this like there's like a site i know where because i go out wild hunting as well mm. and um there was this shaggy mane or um judge's wig i can't actually remember it's binomial right now but anyway it produced idiotic amounts last year but um we went to it um this year and the guy runs out and goes oh i wouldn't touch those mushrooms for you i'm like oh why he goes i poisoned them i'm like why it's not even on your property but like he literally had decimated this thing because it's this attempt by man to try and subjugate something that's infinitely more powerful and that doesn't mean that you can't take out like a mycelium you can right but on a larger scale it's very difficult to do that um you know and obviously there are certain ones that are more virulent than others Mm. some mushrooms pop up for a day and then they're gone right in the meantime they lift the rest of their life on a subterranean level it's, that's what you're saying. So the main part of a mushroom is like the fruit of the organism. You're saying so it's like... Well, no, no, the opposite of that. No, no, the, the mushroom is the fruit. So if you imagine, you know, when you're out in the bush or and, and you've got like an old tree and you maybe kick it or something and you see that kind of white filament right, sort so of material. That fiber. That's Well, no, it's not fibre, it's mycelium. Mycelium, right. Right, or... Um, but it's stringy, white stringy. It's, yeah, it's kind of stringy. Yeah, exactly. And so if you look at, say... Um, well, if, if you've ever had like your own mushroom growing kit and you disturb that soil, it will have that similar white filament because what needs to happen is that growing medium, whatever that medium is, needs to be overtaken by the, um, the mycelium in order to sort of gain mass control. And it depends on the mushroom as to, um, you know, how quickly it can do that and how efficiently it can do that. So obviously you've got more uh, successful species than others. It's a bit like a networking cable. Yeah, yeah. Little, if you bit. yeah, if you want to look at it like that, I mean, literally, it's it, the easiest way to understand it is the internet. But right. the, I didn't want to just outwardly say that simply because the internet is kind of like an artificial reality or an, like an artificial intelligence, whereas the mycelium is an organic reality or an organic intelligence. So I sort of refer to it as the AI and the OI. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good, interesting way to put it. Yeah. So, so it, you think it's like. Where, where, does the, where does the information get held, though? Like, if the, in the, on the internet, the information gets held in servers on computers, I guess, and then it travels down wires and spread around to your computer. Mm. But where does the information get held within the Selenium network? I mean, look, I'd like to pretend and make up an answer, but I, I do have a sort of a kind of answer. See, yeah. the, the funny thing about, I suppose, the hubris or arrogance of humanity is that we see the computers that we build as being vastly more complicated and intelligent and um, powerful than our own brain. Mm. So to look at the human brain, for example, which interestingly enough has a very similar kind of networking to mycelium. Mycelium is actually really similar to us because when we think about it from the perspective that we've sort of birthed out of this planet, right, there's going to be similarities Otherwise, how are you going to stack things together so that they actually functionally work? It's just obviously we're more separate from that reality because we've created our own, you know, version of a jungle, I guess. Mm. Um, but if you look at a human brain, I, I can't remember the figures exactly, but I think it was like Australia-wide 40-storey level computers of t- today that's what you would need to get anywhere near close to the memory capacity and the ability of the human brain. So in order to answer your question, (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know, but if you kind of take that as an analogy, you can go, well, this is something that's vaster and has basically had a longer life here on this planet it's far more intelligent than anything far more intelligent exactly to create you know, in the last I mean, few hundred years well yeah i mean especially if you go back like you know 20 30 years like you know the the sort of internet quality we had was like crashing and not working yeah. so you compare that to something that actually feeds and creates an ecosystem ah it's re- infinitely you know. more intelligent like it's an ancient technology yeah you'd almost say because well, it's like the technology that we've made of these computers yeah. and whatnot that's such a modern brand new technology compared yeah. to how long this uh, this technology is yeah yeah absolutely yeah it's madness it's yeah. madness and no wonder we don't understand an ounce of it mm. because it's well it's it's more just that 
like it's just an analogy in other words i don't know the answer to that question anyone even in the mycology realm that says they know the answer to that question is really just at best hazarding a guess right but the way i would see it is that if there's something that's infinitely older than you then it's it's going to have an intelligence that's greater than you yeah right (laughs) yeah and like if you look at say you know the origin of computers it actually came from coding alan turing was like a, a genius who code like so it's it's like his brain the organic matter of his brain that's why like apple actually has the symbol it does i mean there's a lot of theories around it but they say that it's related to alan turing because he was um he was always eating apples i'm pretty sure that was how it was it was something like that but uh. you can you can watch the movie it's called um i can't remember <laughs> it's got Benedict Cumberbatch in it, but it's yeah. essentially the story of how computers evolved. They, wow. they basically broke the codes of the Nazis so that they could um, figure out on a daily basis, even if they were changing the codes, right, to be able to read messages. And it was a huge turning point in the war. But that is still very, very basic when mm. you look at it in relationship to the rest of the planet and what's um, made possible by mushrooms. Or buy mycelium. So you'd almost say, like, would you say, take mycelium off the planet, what would be the state? Would, would, would the ecosystems that are not even have come to exist? Yeah, very, very likely. Yeah. Uh, and that's not to suggest that it's the only thing that would actually build um, a terraform or something like that. But yeah, it would be a huge part of it for sure. Um, one thing we don't really realise about mushrooms, because, again, especially in a culture like this today where you know, a farmer sprays a mycelial ring that's like probably no more than, I don't know, a couple of square metres. Not very good with the square metre thing. It's probably smaller than I think. Probably, <laughs> you know, like a, not a particularly large amount of space. And he feels that that's going to um, infiltrate and undermine his lifestyle. It kind of shows how much we not only don't understand it, but actually either avoid or fear it. Mm. But I've seen, I've got photos on my phone of various places where mushrooms are actually coming up through concrete and mycelium can actually dissolve concrete mycelium has been found on like in outer space it's been found like almost anywhere you can imagine there's some that are weaker than others you know like what we take for granted is the the button mushroom that you can just go and buy agaricus bisporus um that took an enormous amount of effort to actually figure out how to cultivate it and there's a reason why certain mushrooms are just not available um, I won't go into that because that's a bit complicated. Mm. But there's certain ones that you can only get in the wild. And then there's certain ones that are just really, really difficult because there are other invasive pathogens and other invasive fungi and mold and stuff like that that actually come in and prevent it from, you know, um, becoming um, strong enough that it can actually go through its full life cycle and ultimately produce a fruiting body. But yeah, I mean, in a nutshell, Getting back to the original question, we don't know. We just have to assume that something that has the intelligence to create entire ecosystems that we can't do at all, like we can just barely grow plants. Mm. You know, mm. even in our very Newtonian concept of, of gardens, it's just a controlled sort of environment, and we're still battling against like pests and um, you know different again molds and things like that that actually attack our garden. And we've got to like oftentimes use chemicals to actually um combat that so yeah the, the answer is i don't know <laughs> <laughs> which is great and he's the humble the humility of a scientist pushing boundaries i'm not a scientist but sure, sure we're all scientists I'm a pseudoscientist <laughs> well anyone that researches shit i call a scientist sure okay yeah fair enough um so what about that when you say it, when it spores it goes at a super speed what, what is that speed measurable or is that how, how have they determined well, that you know interestingly enough the very first um, medicinal mushroom I was ever given um, I, I'd actually tried many times to, to get one but because um, I, I really wanted to find a reishi and, and they do grow or a, a similar reishi grows out near Yukai um, up in northern rivers region of Australia and I was staying in my friend's place um, on the, the, the beach at Byron. And these two people, I, I think I'd just met at least one of them, just walked in. And they said, um, we were in the forest and we saw this mist. 
like you know suddenly just out of nowhere and we realized that it had come from a mushroom it's a very rare event to witness although weirdly enough like yesterday i was i've got this like block sitting on my kitchen bench with like a a whole bunch of shiitake on it and i suspect that there was spores being put out because i'm like what's that because you know when the sun hits certain things you see dust this didn't look like dust it looks like spore particles because it was almost like wave formations or clouds so but i mean that's different to actually when um a mushroom actually drops its load it's quite intense Mm. um and so some of it will go down some of it will spread out horizontally but um a lot of it's like going to go upward and what was it look like, like a water or a mist? Or? Well, you know, I mean, like I can only speak for what I saw yesterday, but um, they just said that it was like kind of an explosion of almost like smoke. But anyway, they tore this mushroom off and gave it off to me. So the very first mushroom I was ever given, mm. I, um, back in, I'm going to say 2010, mm. nine? Mm. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it had literally just... Sporulated. I don't have it anymore because they, they do ultimately break down. Um, and then so when you hit, say they hit the atmosphere, they have a, a shell around them or like that? Like- yeah, well, it's, it's almost like a, a, a reaction so that they become they encased in something that can actually allow them to survive in the outer reaches of space, pretty much. So we pretty much have evidence that they can jump between planets like they're they're more interplanetary than humans well it's interesting like i mean if if you look at sort of um your tattoo uh, of the fractal for example yeah um the mycelial networks are really similar to the internet but they're also really similar to wormholes so i mean if you want to get into like whoa what are we gonna go there <laughs> yeah go take, us there. Just... take us there well I, I mean yeah <laughs> ultimately if if something is mirroring itself in other ways it's going to have those capacities that doesn't mean that you can then just go like grow a mushroom and go take me to outer space come on you can do it i know i believe in you right. <laughs> although but, we have tried <laughs> Yeah, well, it's it's funny there. Um, Paul Stamets, getting back to that because you were mentioning him before, he um, he helped develop. Um, I think it's like the latest season of Star Trek, and it was talking about um, like spore drive, right? So it's looking into those whole ideas of creating wormholes and you know basically being able to jump through these wormholes in a sim. Yeah, in a similar way that we would scientifically understand wormholes, going from one point in space to another in a relatively short space of time. So instead of the trajectory being linear, the trajectory becomes nonlinear. Incredible. What an interesting concept. And what, why, why is, what evidence is there wrapped around that for them doing that? Um, to be fair, I, I don't know the, the ins and outs of it, but... Um, it weirdly mimics something that I've sort of been working on. Um, not, not really, but like I've sort of de- started to design a comic universe um, that's centered around mushrooms and an idea that I was actually discussing with my son. He, I think he, he was the one who brought it up. Like, what if you could use like the mycelium to sort of jump from one point in time to another? And I was like, yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of things come through intuition. So, I, I mean, I can't quantify that at all, but Paul is a scientist, so there's obviously at least some sort of scientific or theoretical backup that comes with that. Mm. Um, with, with the medicinal side of things or how, like, they can have a shift in your state of consciousness and what's, what's your personal understanding of why that happens or what's going on there, like, or, or the healing properties, you know, like, how, how comes they've got this in... Or your intuition about this? What's oh, man, let's go there. <laughs> For sure. I had an experience in China that was yeah. very much around this. Yeah. So, yeah, um, well, um, before that, like the, the mushroom that really gravitated me towards the work that I do is the reishi mushroom. Now, the reishi mushroom is a really powerful immune tonic and that's great and i know everyone's excited about mushrooms for various reasons and at the moment a lot of it is a the cool factor and also people are sick right mm. and you know that's really important too um, and when you say the cool factor you mean the psychoactive factor or uh, look, I, th- I, think that's, I think that's part of it i think like people are definitely getting into those sort of things because those realms are becoming 
um, more in vogue and whatnot. But for whatever reasons, well, you know what, actually, like, that's a good point. It's a bit of a question mark. Why are, what is the reason that mushrooms are suddenly becoming popular? Because uh, when I was a kid, if you were like, yeah, I want to become a mycologist, it'd be like, that's great. Yeah. In fact, I even remember because my, um, my auntie was a botanist and like I, I've kind of got... I do have a lineage of scientists in my family. <laughs> Shh, don't tell. Um, but um, yeah, and so she had all these like amazing books on like birds and, and, and butterflies and uh, a lot of botanical books as well. Mm. Like, mm. Um, but I remember the ones that I actually found to be the most... Like, yeah, what's what's that? Was like the li- I mean, I still wanted them. I collected them all, but was like lichens and um, fungi and stuff like that. And I think the reason they weren't as attractive then is because, a, especially if you want to go out and wild harvest, you tend to find that the old books are really hard to figure it out. And especially with mushrooms, you don't want to muck around because they could kill you. If you don't know what you're doing, they could kill you. And some advice that I would give to your listeners is that um, there's a saying, which is there are old mushroom hunters and bold mushroom hunters, but there are no old, bold mushroom hunters. <laughs> so if you are going to go out and harvest, like make sure you know what you're doing. I go out with someone yeah. who does. Yeah. Um, pray that they know what they're doing. Um, sorry, I'm, I just realized I've gone so that. far off. Can you, can, <laughs> you, can, you bring, can you bring me back? <laughs> I'm in the far outreaches of space. My brain's designed to go off track as well, so we might be stuck. Logical nebula. Um, You're talking about your personal healing experience. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. So with with reishi, um, one of the big problems we have on this planet is anxiety and stress. And I mean, especially when you look at it from the perspective, I mean, like literally outside here, there's like all this hubbub going on. There's like Mm. building going on. And it seems to be something that sort of impinges on our mental state. I live in the country and, um, you know, that's still stressful enough. Like doing the things that I do, that's still stressful enough. So Mm. any way that we can lower that stress, I think is really important. Now Mm. with reishi or lingzi, right, which is its, I guess it's proper Chinese name, it was highly, highly regarded. It was also, along with things like lion's mane um, and cordyceps, considered a capital offence to possess. You know, this is only a few thousand years ago, because one thing we forget is that the Chinese um, and the Asiatic regions of the world, but particularly the Chinese, um, they're like the mushroom masters. Hmm. They've been, they've been doing this for thousands of years. And... Of oh, trial can, and error as well, right? So it's uh, well, I mean, I guess so, but I think we're also the veil was thinner, so I think we were probably a little bit more connected as well. But I mean, right. having just returned from China, like up in the north, you just see mushroom farms everywhere, and you see mushroom iconography everywhere. Like really? parks have giant mushrooms in it. There's reishi carved everywhere. They really regard these herbs. Right? I mean, along with a few other ones like ginseng, as sacred, like sacred. And they depict some of their deities um, with reishi um, and certain other tonic herbs that are relevant. But reishi just seems to come up again and again and again and again. Hmm. And so it's known as the spirit mushroom that can actually transform you over time. Um, There's various uh, herbalists who have talked about, um, you know, wanting to take essentially some muggles whatever and you know take them out in the bush or whatever and just feed them reishi and watch them change right because it's one of those things that starts to shift your spirit mm. what's a muddle oh okay um muggle remember like harry potter oh right. yeah <laughs> sorry sorry i didn't mean to say that <laughs> oh like a mudblood yeah mud that's blood. right no harry was a mudblood oh so a muggle that was, is that was the whole point that's is that harry right. was a mudblood that's right yeah yeah <laughs> i've read the books and i've already forgotten them nice sorry that's awesome um yeah and so it's it's a spirit mushroom but like if you want to get into the science of it as to why that is the case it's a cardiotonic so it calms the heart right it allows you to go into a greater state of peace if you find it difficult to rest down in the evening you can have reishi and it'll calm you down if you uh, in the morning find yourself like facing a really stressful day you can take it mm. and instead of it making you sleep it'll just give you this calm even energy right. so that was one of the things that really got me into mushrooms in terms of the ones that excited me interestingly enough it was shaga that got me into it at first but that was 
way back when when we couldn't really access really good mushrooms so the ratio i was getting in the early days was grown on grain so and i can go into that a little bit but i I wanted to tell you about what happened in china Mm. so i was mostly excited about shaga because that was the highest quality one that i was getting whereas the ratio i was getting it was like had no efficacy so I'm like reading all this stuff about it, but it's not really doing what it does. But once I started getting my hands on the extracts, I was like, oh, that's what it does. But one thing that happened in China is when I was um, at the lion's mane farm, because lion's mane's a really big mushroom at the moment. Um, and like, like everyone's really into it. And I think that's because of people like Joe Rogan and Tim Ferriss and on it and all those sort of people who are like, I guess in that sort of get shit done mentality. Um, but what I didn't realize about lion's mane until I got there, because I could actually feel it activating my pineal. I could feel my, my pineal pulsing. Cause I'm like literally surrounded by like thousands and thousands of lion's mane. It was crazy. Oh, so in the wild, not uh, no, not in the wild. No, no. They're like, in you, a they're, they're a farm. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a wild, um, cultivated so they they use basically like these wood chips um that mimic like their natural environment it's not sustainable um this is one of the faux pas that seems to be circulating around like commercial mushroom world as some people are saying i've got wild ratio i'm like no you don't that's that's not true um and um so yeah no they're they're cultivated but they're cultivated by geniuses like these these guys you know they've been doing it for I think the lion's mane guy had been doing it for like 20 years and the reishi guy had been doing it for like 50. And I mean, yeah, that guy, yeah, he looked crazy good for his age. But um, anyway, when I was sort of around the lion's mane, I could feel it really activating my my pineal. Like me and Dan, my business partner, we'd gotten burnt a few days before um, on Tianchi, which is like Heavenly Lake, bordering North Korea and and China it's like a sacred place and whatever and we we went up to the top of this platform and got absolutely roasted so my brain felt pretty fried um so by the time we got to the lion's mane farm I was like oh man this I, I hope I can you know perform or whatever but just being around them it activated something um that was really significant and I realized that it had this shen quality now just to break that down shen is also something that's significant to reishi so shen means um spirit basically so you've got three treasures in chinese um tonic herbalism which is jing chi and shen now jing is your original core essence i can go into this more if you want but i just want to break this down um chi is sort of like that everyday use of that energy or the or the activation of that energy um and that's sort of centered around your stomach and spleen and then Shen is what you're ultimately trying to achieve, which is this spirit energy. And that's why Reishi just goes straight to the heart, right? And it starts to cultivate that spirit energy. But one thing I didn't realize about Lion's Mane is that it also has that. And it also explains why it was a capital offense to possess Lion's Mane. So in other words, these emperors and these um, class of nobles and, I guess, clergy, right? Priestly class, they knew. They knew. They didn't want the commodore to have this. Mm. Um, because it was once thought that the king or the emperor, um, they were supposed to be almost like a god on earth. Not, not exactly, but the reason they were given these, these herbs was they were supposed to act as sort of a conduit between the spirit realm and, and the earthly realm. And you're going to govern better if you are putting the right things in your body and all that sort of thing. So that's why back in the days, that's how they considered um, Imperial China. Wow. Yeah, so it was, it was governed by these herbs and other things. But Yeah, yeah. yeah, but, yeah. But, the, but the emperors would be t- consuming these things to optimise their functionality. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah. interesting. And that's why they banned it from other people. That's what, maybe everyone in government's banning cocaine because they're, all the people in government are on the cocaine. <laughs> Um, look, possibly. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's getting into another plant. Well, no, the, the plant coca that cocaine comes from is actually like a really amazing medicine. Mm. Right? And, um, you know, it's not the same as cocaine. Cocaine takes like 500 different chemical processes to form. So mm. um, anyway, that's a yeah, different thing. So, mu- so, mushroom- so the healing properties of mushrooms is like, in your experience, profound. 
Yeah, it definitely can be, man. I mean, like, it's so funny how back in 2010 or 11, when I, when I first started my, my original company, which doesn't exist anymore, mm. um, I was just obsessed with superfoods. Right? Mushrooms was, you know, very much something that was still on the back burner and on the periphery until it sort of started to take more and more of a, a, a front step. But... It's interesting because that was that time where everyone started talking about superfoods beyond blueberries and um, salmon and kale and broccoli and all that sort of thing, which mm-hmm. have amazing components. But a lot of these superfoods, they, they're great. I mean, I love them, but the mushrooms are a whole nother level. They really are. And so people who are like non-believers, if you will, would sort of go, oh, yeah, you know, whatever, I'll try them and see what happens. And they go, oh, my God this actually worked. I'm like, yeah, I know. I told you it would. So it's, um, it's one of those things where, yeah, it definitely has like a truly healing potential. And it kind of makes sense given it's, or, or given it's function in nature, how it, how it, it creates homeostasis, I guess, or like, it, I don't know if that's the right word in this circumstance, but like it creates, it, it creates wellness for an ecosystem or wellness for plants to communicate and look after each other or, sense each other out so if we're if we're having it it's going to be doing something of those lines with us yeah see now you're opening the the proper can of worms absolutely and i think homeostasis is the right term because it does it maintains the ecosystem 100 percent, and does the same thing for you so um for example uh if you take a mushroom that works i mean they all tend to work on immunity but some more than others if you have an underactive immune system it will actually raise that up and make that immune system like in balance where it needs to be. If you have an overactive immune system, it'll bring it down and bring that back into harmony and balance as well. So, yeah, and that's where you get into the term adaptogen. So adaptogen is only accrued to a certain percentage of herbs. I mean, like it's almost like all these because of superfood revolution or whatever, you've got all these companies like kind of pushing the envelope and saying, oh, this is an adaptogen. There's only a few that, that are genuinely adaptogenic. Now, what that means is that let's say that, like I, when I was saying you take reishi at night and it calms you down and you, you can have a restful sleep. If you have it in the morning, it's not going to make you sleep unless you are truly trashed and need to sleep because your body has its own intelligence and so it's going to go with where that body's intelligence oh, is. Oh, right. Yeah. Wow. And so, in other words, if you have it during the day, it's actually going to give you some of its more chi qualities, even though it's primarily shen. It's going to activate you and give you some energy. But at the same time, it's not going to be like a hyper-stimulated energy like coffee. Although a hint for um, any of your listeners who like to drink coffee, by adding reishi in, um, it has this cardiotonic effect, which means it will calm your heart and also prevent any crash effect from your adrenals. Oh, really? Because it's a jing, chi, and shen herb. Right. Yeah. And it does that somehow intuitively or like the adaptogen no, no, it's, that, it's that's not, not the adaptogen quality yeah it's the adaptogenic quality of of the mushroom yeah. it, it's it's inherent intelligence absolutely i think if you're used to drinking coffee uh you're not really going to necessarily feel the crash that's actually inherently happening to your kidneys and your adrenals right but over time especially when well you know what that's not true because when you need to have a coffee in the morning there's a reason for that that's because your body's telling you i'm fatigued my energy's on low and sort of give me that jump start and the problem with doing something like that is unlike an adaptogen it's the complete opposite of that it's a singly directional uh herb so you know it's going to get you jacked up like even if you have that at midnight Right, you're going to thing. still have yeah, like a lot of medication, like prescription medication as well. Like it has a direct one directional thing. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, pro- probably yeah. I mean, it, coffee's probably a little bit more broad spectrum than that, but yeah, ultimately yeah, it's it's like that. Um, but then again, you get people who are really used to it; and they can drink coffee and go to bed. You know, mm-hmm. um, but so that doesn't mean that it's still not innovating your adrenals and making you more and more fatigued and weary over time so it's kind of like playing the opposite game but for most people they're not going to be 
well, I'll just have reishi instead. They're, they're coffee addicts. Mm. They're clear and simple. They want coffee and that's mm. that. Um, but by adding things like reishi, I mean, even if you don't want it to wreck the taste of your coffee, you can kind of just neck it and have like, you know, half a teaspoon or a teaspoon or whatever. Mm. Even though you might not feel it in terms of like its effect, it's going to almost buffer that um, wearing down over time of your adrenals. But for those who are not used to coffee and they have it, they can really feel it. Instead of feeling really jittery, they might feel a little bit more on it, like even. I mean, they're still going to feel energized, but they're not going to feel that jittery thing that people who are not used to coffee, they just feel kind of nervous and anxious and kind of like, oh, my God, right? Um, And also afterwards, they're not going to feel completely burnt out Mm. because the ratio is going to have protected that. Mm. That's why it's known as the Supreme Protector. That's that's another name for it, Mm. the Supreme Protector. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So cool. And, and so on your China travels recently, did you come across any senseis <laughs> or like any senseis? These kind of like, no, but these people with like a bucket load of knowledge about mushrooms that, were, that well told you anything that blew your brain. Um, the biggest problem right, is um, the language barrier. Right, so we actually had our our hosts come and you know take us around and stuff like that, but. If you can't speak Mandarin, you really won't be able to understand anything. I mean, they've got translator apps, but the internet is rubbish over there. So, I mean, I remember the first night me and Dan ended up with like the worst meal ever because we tried to order something and got something else, right? Because the translator app just didn't work. Um, But so, I mean, I'm, I'm certain that that was that there, there would have been people who had a vast amount of knowledge. I, I think uncle Yu, who was the reishi farmer, I mean, he just, he had a, I mean, he was obviously like, you know, had that rough farmer kind of vibe about it, but I mean, he was like 60 or something. He didn't have a gray hair on his head. He just looked so robust. And um, I'm sure he had a vast amount of knowledge because, mm. I mean, this guy grows reishi. Like when you interact with these herbs on that way, like whatever plant you interact with and grow, you're going to start to have an intimate relationship with it. Mm. You may not consciously be aware of that, mm. but you will still have things that will sort of bleed through into you. And you could kind of see that a little bit in him. Mm. Um, yeah. Amazing. So we've, because um, uh, what's, I know it's a bit, bit of a controversial topic and you don't have to speak to it in, in Australia, but because um, my mum got sick recently of cancer and I researched lots of different things to figure out what might, mm. and, and there's, you know, that black salve stuff, that, which is meant to be illegal here. It is. And, 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 then, and there's all these other, and then I looked into mushrooms a lot, and she actually found some mushroom solutions in China that were that claimed to be solutions, should you say, um, and, or things that remedy it to some degree. Without speaking directly to it, like what, what are some of the people that you know about in China that talk about it, and how do they talk about it? Um, no one in, in China, specifically at least when we were there, we're talking about it. Really, all of the work that's been done on that sort of area has been the Japanese. The Japanese, right. I, I, I actually do have a, a secret book at home that's like all about those mushrooms and the sort of applications they have. I mean, yeah, we we certainly can't... Well, in Australia and even in the West, um, we can't really talk about that. But, mm. for example, there's um, a mushroom called turkey tail mushroom, right, or Coriolis, and um, it contains certain polysaccharides. I probably should have explained what that is first, but never mind, forget that. It, there's, there's kind of a manufactured version of the polysaccharide, which is the water-soluble healing elements of the mushrooms that have been turned into this thing called Crestin. So it's polysaccharide Crestin. Now, Crestin actually boosts interferon. Now, interferon is like, uh, sort of like very, very important in terms of getting the immune system up and running and and strong and it has been sanctioned like as an actual adjunct to chemotherapy in places like japan and china in the west it's more complicated because of the fact that those polysaccharides it's not like you can just isolate the crestin and that's it it sort of needs certain cofactors with it and because it can't be isolated in the way that the West likes to, they are still working on it, right? Well, that's what they tell you, I, um, you know. 
I'm avoiding. Yeah. You did a great job of describing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I was just starting to think about the bees actually, because it's it's very similar to like what's happening with the bees, like in France with the bees. You know, when they go, oh, our bee populations are going down, they just ban Bayer from using certain chemicals. But in America, they don't do it. Um, it it's I think it's like one of these problems with the West, where there's like a huge arrogance, mm. and they. Um, they won't work with... I mean, look, who knows what the real reasons are, but they, unless they can identify on their terms, even if it's happening very successfully in places like Japan that really are the forefront of the scientific studies, you know, of medicinal mushrooms anyway. Right. right. But um, they, they won't kind of jump on board. But there's a few that, that have these qualities as well. So... Um, but some of the most studied ones are like reishi, turkey tail, shiitake, miyatake. Um, yeah, and they do, they definitely, they do help. And I mean, Paul Stamis has got a story where his, his mother, who had, I think, third stage breast cancer, something like that. And um, he basically just started, you know, smashing her with these turkey tail yeah. um, capsules because turkey tail has this really good ability to kind of prevent met- metastasite. I can't remember how to say that right now. <laughs> anyway, basically making the, the, the cancer of the tumour cell kind of um, overrun. It's amazing. It's amazing what's out there. It always blows me away, but also it doesn't surprise me how sophisticated some plants are or organisms are mm. in, in healing us or helping us. And... Um, it's 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 a, such seems such a disappointing disappointment in humans in the West mm. these people that are just blocking it. So like, how could you be proud of your work if you're not really pioneering it in the best way possible? Like that, that's that's what it, it's it's a shame. It's mm. a shame, isn't it? Like, but it's great that there's parts of the world where they're really going full full belt on it. So like Japan, would you, you say in the world? scale they're the leaders yeah. oh in- man they've been doing like all of these things like um creston were sort of isolated in i'd say it was um it was either like the early 80s or the the late 70s and stuff like that so they've been you know working on this sort of stuff for quite a while you know and and do they i suppose i don't understand the science of it but i imagine they must it has a different like it, it's how is it different to most medicine that we use like it's is it harder to measure its effectiveness or like what's Are you talking about in terms it? of why the West doesn't embrace yeah. it? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you could go down any route of saying that it's just ignorance to conspiracy. It's, I mean, it's not really relevant because ultimately uh, just because it's not sanctioned in your country and it's working in another country, to me it's really obvious. If it's working in another country, it's working in another country. Um, but I think that especially because the Chinese and and the Japanese are more open to these things um, you know they're gonna they're gonna allow these things to play out much more I mean there's there's a thing called Fushen therapy um, getting back to Reishi and it's designed to basically boost your immune system where it is so compromised um, that yeah like you're potentially life-threateningly compromised and Reishi is like a significant herb that's used in fushian therapy so it's just known right and really it's just it's boosting your immune system so that it can fight it's not this is one thing that people don't seem to understand is like with herbs it's not like this herb fixes your liver it doesn't work or this herb fixes your heart or this herb fixes your stomach it's not like that it's more that it allows your body to do what it can naturally do it gives your body's ability to do its natural healing potential that's sort of that was what I was told. My understanding as well, but it mm. raises your baseline immunity. So then you, incredibly intelligent body, it can mm. sort itself out. Yeah, you know, like we're it's almost like we're undervaluing how intelligent our body is and how much our body does want to survive mm. by by doing these like band aid directional drugs that don't that seem to that seem that just don't seem as sophisticated as what mushrooms. Does it mm. seems mush, mushroom medicinal mushrooms seem like they communicate, and it makes sense that they communicate with your organism, like they communicate with between trees and um, the, the tree next door or whatever. You know, it, they seem to be able to have. That's why I'd love to be able to have like some kind of 
like obvious scientific graph of that so you can convince the West where it's like, this is clearly, is there that stuff? Um, like, is there an obvious... Yeah, honestly, like, maybe I didn't explain it properly before, but it, it's it's more just that if something exists in isolation, like the if Creston was just Creston and that's it, um, then it would be something that you could study and sanction very quickly. But the West, again, for whatever reason... And because that crestin is not just singly the crestin, it's like actually a better example is vitamin C. So, you know, when you go down to a pharmacy or a health store and you buy like that powdered vitamin C, it's just vitamin C, it's just ascorbic acid. Mm. When you're sick, you can take that and it's going to make you feel better. But it's not the vitamin C your body really needs. And so, if you have too much of it, you'll get the runs. Uh, and um, if you keep taking it, your body becomes sort of, it doesn't react as well as if it has those cofactors. So there's cofactors in vitamin C with the ascorbic acid like bioflavonoids. And so, you know, when you get an orange and you basically peel an orange and it's got that white pith, that's got some of those bioflavonoids in it. So you need that, right, in order for that vitamin C to work. Right. And... When you look at, say, a medicinal mushroom, it's got a whole range of things. Like, um, say, for example, in reishi, you've got, like, polysaccharides and more particularly beta-glucans, right? Those are the water-soluble aspects of it. And then you've got triterpenes. And you've got a whole variety of different triterpenes that have different names, and they've been discovering those. But those things, as a singularity, don't necessarily work as well in conjunction with the other things. So, for example, certain mushrooms, reishi and shaga being a really good example, really to get the full benefit, you need to actually dual extract it, which means that you've got to pull the water-soluble elements out, which is pretty obvious. You basically, you know, on a rudimentary level, you boil the mushroom, right, and you reduce that water, and that water has those polysaccharides, those beta-glucans encased in it, and it's now in the water, and you can drink it. But then you've got these triterpenes, these alcohol-soluble components, and those ones, um, they need a different extraction. They need to be extracted in alcohol. Um, and so then you can extract those triterpenes out. And they have a different kind of um, role. But by having those two things together, you've made a much more broad spectrum of those roles. And this is not quite the same. I'm just trying to figure out a way to explain um, something that's, I mean, probably much more minute. Do you know what I mean? It's not saying... Because with the crescent, it still is an extract, right, of a certain component of the mushroom. But it's almost like instead of it being 100% pure, like, polysaccharide crescent, it's probably got some other aspects to it. Right. And therefore, the West just doesn't acknowledge it and the value that it has. Right. That makes does sense. Does that make yeah. more sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. <laughs> and what what about the um, the psychoactive component to some mushrooms? Like what what's going on there? Like like my 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 understanding or sense of it is that it's it's opening. Uh, I suppose it's like dimethyltryptamine. It, it, that's what the the scientists say. It allows more brain power or it boosts our brain's power, so we can perceive more elements of reality or elements of existence. Would you say that mushrooms are doing a similar thing? Yeah. Um, actually, like, it, it's a good example is reishi, right? When you play around with a substance that's got dimethyltryptamine or psilocybin or whatever particular, like, activating substance that you take, it kind of kicks open the door. But the cost of that is that it... Um, can sort of upset the neurology because you're essentially rearranging the biochemicals like and the ratios in your pineal hypothalamus complex. Um, what's, the, what's that complex, the pineal? So your, your pineal hypothalamus complex is kind of like all of the... the I mean, to, to put it more in hippie terms, like it's kind of the chakras that exist in your head. Right. Pretty much. Yeah. Right? But, I mean, they're, they're different components, parts of the brain, and they're related to your perception and, and other things like that. So like your crown chakra and your third eye, is, mm. you know, gotcha. if you want to call it that. Gotcha. Um, 
and that's fine if you want to do that. But like, I think one of the things that a lot of people who are getting into these things more now, they're doing it, but they're not backing it up with like practices like meditation, Qigong, whatever it is that stabilizes that. Like when these things were traditionally consumed and worked with on a cultural level, they were at the end of a process where they might have fasted and meditated and done all of this building. So it's almost like you're building up something to break it down. Earning it and and integrating it. Yeah, yeah, in essence. But when you look at something like reishi, it doesn't really kick the door in, but it's sort of like gently opens the window so a breeze can come through as you will from a conscious level and that's hence that reason why over time it can just shift you and change you and it's really gentle but unlike these things that are you know more psychoactive in nature it can allow that to happen because ultimately like if you're engaging in those sort of practices you're trying to learn something right if you're going into that not to learn anything or insight yeah you're going to get the experience that that particular medicine wants to give you right it's not as simple as a biochemical response it's your relationship to that plant and that medicine and that's why like especially people who are like scraping crystals off plants and saying they're having a spiritual experience on dmt eh, it's like that whole thing we're going back to with like coca versus cocaine mm. coca is a gentle herb that's used by the natives like every day they, they chew it every day and mm. it's, it's got like antioxidants and it's got lung, things like that. But cocaine obviously is a whole different spectrum. Mm. Mm. But anyway, so Reishi has this ability to just gently open those doors and change your consciousness, change your heart, change your immune system, like what you were talking about before, that homeostatic quality. Um, so, I mean, I don't know if that answers the question. It does, yeah, yeah. So Reishi, and is that, is that, is that something you're working on mostly with? that excites you most obviously it seems um no look i love reishi like i said i had like a lesson with the lion's man i i mean i i call them the big four for a reason like i i mean it it sounds a bit weird but like over time i broke them down into four different elements because they seem to represent four different like elements shaga is very earthy right and that was the first one i worked with and a lot of people have described it as something that they feel gives this like really grounded solid you know energy they one customer actually said to me they like when i take your shaga i feel like i'm doing the haka and i was like oh yeah okay that's earth i get that um reishi is so gentle so feminine it's so water right um even though it's centered around the heart and the heart's traditionally an air associated um you know organ and chakra or mm. whatever i i feel like it's water mm. right? it really is you know it's healing it's the most healing of of um well, in, in its own right, it's, it's very healing, is mm. what I should say. Mm. Um, then the process that I went through to birth T-Lixa with my business partner, Dan, we actually consumed a wild cordyceps from Australia called cordyceps gunnii. So it's not cordyceps sinensis, which is the one you find on the Tibetan high plains, and um, it's, it's a native one. It's much larger. And I found it through just bizarre circumstances but the first time i had it i had an almost psychoactive experience and all i did was put it in a smoothie now mm. buy a big way you're not really supposed to not cook mushrooms for those of you who you know chop up mushrooms and put them in a salad strictly speaking it's not really digestible it's not going to kill you but the body doesn't really like it um and probably you're not supposed to do that with like a chi jing herb like what we did but either way, I seem to have this almost shamanic experience um, from having this cordyceps. The first time was kind of unpleasant. And weirdly enough, my friends who I was picking it with were like texting me and ringing me at the same time going, are you sure these things are safe? I'm like, why? Well, I'm just trying to hold on to myself. I'm feeling kind of quite sickly. Uh-huh. And um, they said, oh, because, um, you know, um, you, you know, one of the people who was who'd, who'd taken it had consumed, I think, like two or three of these, like whole, um, raw, and I don't know if they vomited, but they were like they were pretty sick, right? Um, anyway, so long story short, I went through that experience. It didn't last too long, mm. and actually, I'd made a smoothie with this. The, my brother actually drank the smoothie, the other half of it. 
right. and nothing happened to him except he, that his lungs opened up, which is what cordyceps should do. And he actually also texted me at the same time and said, oh, actually, dude, I reckon my lungs have opened up. And I was thinking he's that sort of person who's very unlikely to have that physical response immediately. What does that mean, lungs open up? Well, it's a lung tonic, right? So it's often used by athletes, right? Right. Um, so, you know, it can enhance athletic performance. In fact, the... You breathe better. You breathe better and you perform better. Yeah. It's yeah. lung, liver, and kidney. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like the, the 1993 Chinese, uh, I think it was like track and field, they like smashed it, got gold medals, and, um, you know, they were tested because they thought, man, like how could you have achieved this? And it turned out that the trainer had put them on this... Um, oh, how interesting. On, on, it, was, it was an amalgamation. I think it was like tortoiseshell as well. It was weird, but like it had cordyceps in it. And that's why when they had the Chinese Olympics, the Chinese government bought all the wild cordyceps in China and they gave them to the athletes, like all of them. Like, because they're really expensive. Like wild cordyceps is like, um, I think at last price, it was somewhere in the vicinity of like 50, don't quote me on this, like $50,000 a kilo. That could be US too, actually. Wow. Um, but yeah, anyway, so I, <laughs> after having this horrible experience, which only lasted about three hours, yeah. um, I then convinced my business partner um, to do it again. I said, oh, look, man, this is supposed to be a cheat tonic. So, you know, this will get, we'll get stuff done. This will be a good work day, bro. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, or there is a possibility just saying that we might be a little bit sickly. Um, but anyway, and so long story short, we drank the smoothie and ended up lying on the, the ground for about nine hours with just enough energy to go and get firewood to keep the fire going. It was in the middle of winter. Oh my goodness. But what came out of that, and I'm, I'm not going to discuss the specifics of the details, but, and this is where I'm getting to in terms of its elemental association, mm. um, it, it transformed um, something for me that like had been a really long standing thing. And so I really realized that it was, it was fire. Right? And when you look at um, what a cordyceps is, it's an insect that in order to maintain its um, harmony with the ecosystem and not take over and destroy the tree, which interestingly enough is one of the most DMT rich trees in the, in the, on earth, the ones in Australia are, um, so you can see that it's actually protecting that. And it also raised the idea for me that, like, DMT is not something that's necessarily just for consumption. It's something that may very well have an inherent role in the ecosystem, even if it's on, like, what you were talking about before, that sort of spirit aspect of the mushroom. But anyway, so the mushroom will overtake these insects and essentially kill them from the inside out, and then out of their their crown chakra or their head will pop this this black club head mushroom which is jing now the sort of thing that will take that kind of alchemical transformation to occur is fire so something happened for me and also um dan sort of disappeared for a few days and i remember i was at market because i was still doing markets at the time and he starts sending me pictures what do you think about this and I was like, oh, man, that's amazing. Like, he actually sent me the, the very first T-Lixer. Actually, I think, have you got that bag? Chuck us that. <laughs> yeah, it's, because it, yeah. So this was actually the very first, I'm giving this to you, by the way. This, um, this, this was the first, um, not, not in this form, but this was the first label that we produced. And you can see it's a Venn diagram. Right. Right which is, well, the vesica Pisces, sorry. Um, right. So it's kind of like the masculine, the feminine, marrying and meeting and all that sort of thing. Yeah. So, and I saw this and it was way more psychoactive at the time. It had like this geometry behind it, et And I just went, yeah, that's amazing. And that had all occurred the same night that I went through this specific process that I feel mm. was as a result of, of consuming these cordyceps. Now, I actually met up with um, a mycologist well, he's not a mycologist really, but he's like a mushroom hunter. And um, he couldn't believe that the cordyceps had done this. So it's not 
Yes, there's a certain aspect to if you consume something that's a stomach, spleen, tonic in its raw form, it might be a little bit aggressive, but it didn't explain what came out of it. So I really realized, and this was at the birth of T-Lixa, that it was fire, right? I'd, I hadn't actually worked out the other one, so I probably should have said that one first. And then the last one I worked out was I was having a meeting with um, someone at some point and, and they were talking about lion's mane and I realized, oh, it's around the brain, right? And the, the brain, the mind is air right because when we meditate we're trying to maintain the stillness of that air Mm. we think of air as wind it's not Mm. right air and fire is wind right so that fire actually upsets the the mind but the mind in its still state is air so i'm sort of being presented with and, and worldwide if you look at the people who are selling mushrooms right for whatever reason there's this like elemental breakdown that they have somehow whether intuitively or consciously kind of keyed into the elements it's, it's, the elements it, yeah. yeah and and they just all they, they just know it by experimenting with it or or connecting with it I, I don't know i mean look this was just sort of like something that i play with and i came to but you can really see how these they they play out you know something that's like giving athletic performance that's you know lung liver and and kidney that mm. is fire mm-hmm. you know um, something that's like so healing to the spirit and gentling and washing over you like water, that's reishi, mm. 100%. Mm. You know, something that's like grounding and building and energizing but not overly energizing. And um, and it literally looks like, um, I don't know if you've seen what these look like, but shaga literally looks like a, a chunk of rock, right? Or like a burnt sort of... Um, charcoal. Block, yeah. yeah. It's, like, it's, good. it's charcoal. Um and so it is earth right. you know it's actually a heavenly reflection like the black that we see in the night sky is reflected in the shaga when you look for black foods you're finding jing right but it's that more yin aspect right rather than a yang aspect mm-hmm. and um well lion's mane literally looks like a brain it literally yeah, looks yeah, like a brain, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, and it's been associated with the head mm. Um, I just didn't realize until I'd had the experience I had that that head association was not just mind, right? But also it was it was um, it was a shen aspect because I often said, oh well, you know, take reishi and lion's mane together, it gives you a heart mind connection. It and it turned out to be it felt really true. Wow! I actually, there's um, a grower in um, the Yarra Valley who I've been recently connecting with um, who grows lion's mane. So if you're interested in getting like fresh lion's mane it's called king oyster mushrooms right and even again when i was around his lion's mane i could feel that active not to the same degree when i was in helion jian i mean that was epic there was so many lion's mane it was crazy hmm. but um yeah so did i cover all of them and yeah, yeah so you basically got earth air fire water yeah right and and they and they they just tend to like key in naturally so yeah it's so cool, man. It's such a cool product. I really mm. ho- hope it, f- it flies here. Is, and you put mm. it out in Australia mostly or is it overseas as well? Um, oh, a little bit overseas, like mostly in Australia at, mm. at the moment. Mm. Um, but, you know, we're, we're reaching out our tendrils and whatnot. <laughs> um, the one that's actually in front of you, the one I was, I was showing you, that's, that's immune defense. So this is sort of Paul Stamets invented this term called host defense. So, you know how you were talking about kind of rewiring that homeostatic mechanism? This is taking each of the, the mushrooms that are, in their own right, really good at doing that, but they're sort of like different fractions of it. So, you know how we were talking about, um, I know this is a different topic, but like say we're talking about with turkey tail, it has PSK and, um, you know, Miyataki's got um, defraction and... You know, lion's mane's got neural growth factors and also gut factors. And, mm. you know, all of these different things, they actually marry up together and mm. they make a much a stronger effect of what you were talking about, that homeostatic right. response. Right. But that's very, just, that's very much just focused on the, the immune aspect rather than, like, to be honest, if you were like, oh, I want to meditate, right? Like, you wouldn't necessarily take that. You'd take reishi. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. reishi is going to have so much stronger effects in that regard. Right. So yeah, but yeah, you know, um, overseas, yeah. <laughs> it's great, man. Well, thanks so much for sharing your knowledge. And while you say you haven't got much, it sounds like a lot to me. 
and it's educated Thanks. me and whoever's listening mm. on it more, which I think is brilliant because it's it seems to be that the future of looking after humans i think in terms of like our well-being getting us in a good fighting disease get just preventing disease and it's yeah my experience with it has been that as well so i i, I just appreciate you sharing more knowledge and and having a go with this immune booster myself i look forward to seeing how it feels yeah yeah awesome man yeah yeah no well i mean if you feel like you've got like um you know a cold or a flu just little you know that sort of like oh i'm starting to feel a bit sick that's when you take it right um you can take it every day but like anything if if your body gets used to it it'll ultimately override right so like one thing that i have tended to do with that is that I don't really consume it unless I'm feeling a little bit sick or I want to combat something specifically. That's good to know. And then it works. Right. You know. Um, so, so then for Rashi, Rashi, having that re- more regularly? Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, if you, if you talk to like... Would your body like get used the, to that, though? It does. But the thing is, like, it's sort of like... Think of it like an onion that you're peeling one layer over and then you mm. peel another one and another one mm. and you just keep peeling until you ultimately get to the core. But just like, again, your tattoo, it's a fractal, mm. right? Mm. So it's going to go on infinitesimally, mm-hmm. right? And as long as you can surrender to that and recognize that you're going to be consistently peeling away the layers, it's fine. Mm. So the, the Taoist herbalists, right, you know, the modern day ones um, and even the ancient ones, they consume reishi every day, mm. Every day. And the gods too. Like, that's why they're depicted as, like, having reishi tea and, you know, carved scepters with reishi. Because it's something that, you know, is so sacred. If you have access to it, you have it every day. It boosts your immune system and allows you to go through spiritual expression. Because ultimately what we're trying to do is get to expressing our spirit. It doesn't matter if you're, like, um, you know strong like as long as you can actually get to that place but by strengthening the foundation and building from that you will ultimately get to that mm. capacity to experience mm. and express your shin mm. so it's awesome yeah so how do you spell reishi r-a-s-h um r-e-i-s-h-i gotcha gotcha yeah cool, that's good to know mm. thanks brother i really appreciate your time no worries thanks for having me it was Cheers. fun <laughs> it was 